You are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, it should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. Morning scripture passage is Luke chapter 19. Verses, verses 28 through 44. I think I got the words right. I don't have numbers in my Bible, so just, just try to bear with me. <laughs> All right, hear the words of the Lord. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet. He sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you. Where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus. We come in the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for giving us your word, which is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that we might be complete, equipped for every good work. Father, we ask you to grant unto Pastor Rob that spirit of of power and wisdom as he preaches. Grant that your word would be rightly preached and proclaimed this morning. Transform and renew us so that we might do your will, equip us for the good works that you have for us. And for anyone listening who does not know you, we plead with you to grant repentance and saving faith, that your angels may rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You guys could be seated. Now, typically, typically when I talk to folks, 
And I use the words submission and authority. No one usually gets excited, right? Not once have I ever been invited to guest preach somewhere and they said, you know what we'd love for you to speak on? It's, it's this topic of submission. Or not once has one of the members of Renaissance Church ever asked me to take an even deeper dive of Titus chapter 2 where it's talking about submission and authority. No, no one wants to talk about those things, but yet the words rule, authority, and reign, and dominion are woven through all the pages of Scripture. We even see it in the, in the tapestry of our world and our culture. And ever since Genesis 3, it's been this constant struggle to find out who is in charge. Who do we listen to? Who should I follow? Should it be man, creation, or should it be God? the creator. Here's the reality. Whoever's words you follow reveals who you worship. Whoever's words you follow reveals who you worship. And that's what today's text is all about. That whoever's words you listen to reveals who you praise, who you worship. And we're going to be able to look at that reality from two different angles. The first angle is this, listening to the king, listening to the king. And the second angle is praising the king, praising the king. So those are our two sub points for today, listening to the king and praising the king. And if you're going to leave here with anything, It's this, that whoever's words you follow reveals who you worship. And so if you're with me, I invite you to keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 19, verses 28, all the way through verse 40. And so let's dive into this first point, listening to the king. Now, when we come to passages of scripture where the genre here is narrative, I want us to think about interpreting this this passage similar to the way we experience heat from a fireplace. The closer you are to the fireplace, the more heat you will feel. But even when you're far away from the fireplace, you still feel some radiant heat. It might not keep you warm, but you still feel the heat. This is the way that narratives are meant to be read. You'll get some sub points from the narrative where you'll experience some radiant heat, but the closer you move to the main point of the text, you'll find the warmth of the fire that'll keep you warm. And if you dive in, you'll experience the refining fire of the passage. So this is where I want to begin is not from the refining fire, but we'll move to that point. But right now, we're going to be at the radiant heat. What are some sub points we can take away from here? And this is where listening to the king comes into play. You see, Jesus and his disciples, they're entering Jerusalem. And notice, it doesn't say they're going down. It says they're going up. They're going up to a mount called 
all of it, where this is beautiful vista of all of Jerusalem. This is where all the Israelites would sojourn every year for all their festivals. And this time of year, it's for the festival of Passover. And as they're on top of that mountain, Jesus tells two of his disciples, look with me in verse 28. He says, go into the village. Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat yet. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. Now, how Jesus knew that there was going to be a cult there is, is a mystery. It's, it's a mystery. Did he tell people ahead of time to have this cult ready when somebody comes, asks you a question? You, you ask them, hey, who needs this? And then the, the secret password is the Lord has need of it. We, we don't know if that is the reality because Luke doesn't clue us into that. But Luke does tell us something. And what does he tell us? The disciples listened. The disciples listened to his words. Look what we read next in verse 32. The two left and found it just as he said. As they were untying the colt, the owner said, what are you doing untying the colt? And they said, the Lord needs him. They brought the colt to Jesus. So here you have King Jesus giving orders and you have his followers following the orders. Get the colt. They get the cult. Who they follow, who they listen to is revealing who they worship. And we know this from the previous, the previous parable that Jesus just taught on. If you're familiar with the section in the Gospel of Luke, it's the parable of the ten minus, where Jesus sums up this whole section with what you do or you refuse to do for the king reveals what you think about the king. Right? If you believe that the king is harsh, you won't do anything for the king. But if you believe that the king is generous and good and gracious, then you will listen to the king's words. What does this show us? Well, one of the reasons we listen to someone's words is based on their character. Jesus is gentle. He's lowly holy and forgiving. The words, get that cult. What happened? Let me tell you a story about what didn't happen. Some of you have heard me tell the story before that every year my neighbor asks me uh, to watch uh, all their flowers in their garden and to make sure that I get all of their mail and all the Amazon boxes that come to their front step. Now, how will they know if I listen to their words? When they come back from vacation, they'll either find wet Amazon boxes on their front porch or dry inside my house. Or they'll find brown and wilted petunias or beautiful lush flowers in their garden. Now, here's what I want you to imagine. Imagine my neighbor halfway through their vacation calls me up and says, Rob, did you get the boxes? Pittsburgh accent. And I say, no, but what Lauren and I have done, we've gathered some of our friends in our home and we started memorizing what you asked us to do. And he goes, Rob, Rob, did you, did you water my plants? No, 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 but 
We created multiple translations of Would You Water My Plants? We even wrote a song. Do you want to hear the song? And he says, Rob, what, did, did you do what I asked you to do? And we would say that conversation is ridiculous, right? Simple instructions leads to simple obedience. But isn't this what we do with Jesus' words? Jesus' disciples didn't need to go to seminary first. They didn't need training in the art of getting a cult. They didn't need to memorize it. They didn't need to write songs about it. They were simply hearers and doers. That's what listening is. It's hearing and doing. The Apostle James writes this, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. See, we will gladly sing the songs and even teach our kids to sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. How do we know that? It's because the Bible tells us so. If we're willing to believe Jesus' words about the most important thing, that he came to die for sinners and rise on the third day so that God could love us, if we can believe him about the most amazing news, then shouldn't we be able to trust him with every other word that he commands us to do? So that when our neighbors ask, why do you love your enemies? We say, because Jesus told us to. When our neighbors ask, why do you forgive the people who don't deserve to be forgiven? Because that's what Jesus taught us to do. Why do you love the poor and the marginalized and the hurting? We say it's because that's what Jesus not only taught us to do, but that's what he did for me. That's what he's done for me. He's forgiven me. He's loved me even when I was his enemy. We listen to the king's words. There's beautiful news about following Jesus' words because I believe that this passage shows us something else about Jesus' character. Most commentators do think that Jesus set this meeting up with the cult. And this wouldn't be outside of God's character. It wouldn't be outside of God's care because we know from Scripture that God prepares good works for us ahead of time so that we can walk in them. We see this from Ephesians 2.10. Paul writes, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Every good work that God invites you to do is set up for you. How gracious is that? Then when he commands you to love him, it's set up for you to love him. When he commands you to love others as Jesus has loved you, it's set up for you to do. But sadly, most of us want Jesus in our lives the way we treat other people in our lives. We simply just want a consultant in Jesus so that we can have the final word. We don't want Jesus as king we just want him as a spiritual advisor, and we get the final say. This is the radiant heat of the passage. What I want to do now is move a little bit closer to the center of this fire. 
to experience the warmth from this hearth. So the words you listen to reveals who you worship. And the second point is praising the King of Kings. Follow along with me in verses 35 to 38. And they, that is the disciples, brought it, the colt, to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, what we just read is absolutely astonishing. The disciples aren't just listening to Jesus' words, but they're praising him as their king. They're recognizing Jesus for who he is. No king in that culture would dare to ride on the bare back of a donkey or a horse. And so what does Jesus' disciples do? They take off their cloaks and make a saddle for him. And they say, no, 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 Jesus, I don't want you to lift a finger, so we're going to lift you up onto the colt, which they do in verse 35. And when Jesus is riding on the road to Jerusalem, verse 36, people begin laying down their cloaks on the road in front of him and hail him as the Davidic king coming in the name of Yahweh. Now, this type of parade was culturally appropriate in that area, that when a king conquered a new land, they would bring him into this new city and crowds would gather all around, worshiping a brand new king. But Jesus here is deliberately departing from the normal script. Kings would ride in on powerful war horses, not Jesus. Kings would have a a procession of chariots in front of them, not Jesus. Here he is, mounted on a colt, a small donkey. He is the creator of the universe. He is the Christ, the king of authoritative, miraculous power, riding into town on a steed fit for a child, or dare I say, hobbit. In this way, Jesus let it be known that he is the one prophesied about in Zechariah. Look with me in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It wasn't just any donkey. It was a baby donkey. And the words that the multitudes are singing and shouting is evidence of who Christ is. He is the Messiah fulfilling this prophecy from Zechariah. In verse 38, as they're singing, they are repeating the words of Psalm 118, which is a messianic psalm, a Christocentric psalm. They're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. They are calling him king. This is the closest we can get to the fireplace without getting burnt. Calling someone king is letting everyone know that you are not in charge of you, but Jesus is in charge of you. 
Calling someone and praising someone and worshiping someone as king is saying that I'm not in charge of me. Jesus is in charge of me. They worship him. They're literally laying down their lives, their cloaks for him. These cloaks, these garments. Did you know that they were a sign of a physical and economic and social status? To put down your outer garment was to throw down your life, to identify with the king you are worshiping. This is our king. We are his people. Church, this is identity language. Praise and worship is not just an activity. It's not just something that we come and do on Sunday mornings. Listen, worship is your identity before it ever is your activity. Praise is your identity before it ever is your activity. You are never not praising. Do you hear me? You are never not worshiping. Every word you say is an act of worship. Every action that you do is an act of worship. Everything that you choose not to do is an act of worship. It's revealing your sense of inner worth. Every decision you make boils down to who you listen to because it reveals who you worship. And if you worship Christ, then your identity is in him. And if you're in him, you follow him. See, what are they praising him for in verse 37? Not just for who he is, but it says his miraculous works are the source of their praise. What are the works that they saw Jesus do? The deaf now speak and hear. The blind now see. The lame now walk. What is Jesus doing as he draws near to those types of people? He is identifying with the marginalized that no one in that society wanted to identify with. Jesus comes to the marginalized before they ever come to him. And notice, notice where is Jesus going? He's going towards suffering. See, the way to find out who you worship is finding out if you will follow them into suffering. We've moved away from the closest we can get to the hearth of the fire without getting burnt to now saying, I'm jumping into the center because I must be refined. I must be transformed. So the way you find out who you worship is not only praising God in the good, but praising him when suffering and trials comes. See, this multitude, while they are praising him now for all that he has done, will they keep praising him for where he's about to go? Will you keep praising him through your trials because he has identified with you in the midst of your greatest trial. You're suffering from your own sin and shame. So we have this line in the history of the church that God is good all the time and all the time. 
It's easy to believe that when things are going good. But do we believe it when life is not good? I mean, have you ever praised God through the trial of this pandemic? Why would we praise God for a trial like this? It's because we know what it produces. Steadfastness. Character. Perseverance. A hope that doesn't put us to shame. And we don't know what's happening in the multitude's life here. These cow- crowds were captivated by Jesus, but will they keep going with Jesus when he's captured? And for you, are you just wanting to go along with this trip with Jesus and hoping that he will fulfill your hopes, your dreams? Are we ready to sing this psalm of praise, but only when Jesus is doing what we want? Are we ready not only to spread our cloaks on the ground, but are we ready to lose our lives following Jesus to his death? There are people in the multitudes who won't. They're not willing. It's the religious. It's the Pharisees. Look with me in verse 39 and 40. Luke continues, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. You see, the religious don't want Jesus as king. They view him in verse 39 as just another teacher. They call him teacher, rabbi, not king. They would not lay their cloaks down. They couldn't get past the little G God in their own making because Jesus did not fit the script for them. They would not identify with Jesus because he would not do their bidding. Why? Because Jesus' gospel was a very threat to their comfort, to their own authority, and to their own power. Jesus disagreed with their teachings. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you. So you will know what you worship when who you praise can disagree with you and you still follow them. If the Jesus you claim to worship can never disagree with you, then you don't have the Jesus of the Bible. You have a Jesus created in your own image. I'll say that again. If the Jesus you claim to worship can never disagree with you, then you don't have a Jesus of the scriptures. You have a Jesus created in your own image, which elevates you to the position of king or queen. We do this because we fail to see Jesus like the religious for who he really is. Because he doesn't fit the bill of who they wanted voted into their kingship. Newsflash, Christianity is not a democracy. Christianity is a ruler and someone who reigns a king over our lives. Creation, Jesus says, is aware of Jesus. But the leadership of a nation is not. 
Do you notice the irony here? That which is lifeless, the rocks, knows a king when they see it. But that which has life, these Pharisees, does not recognize a king. And in saying this, Jesus is claiming to be God because all creation will worship him and they will kill him. They will scheme and murder him for this. And this is why Jesus, as they are rejoicing and praising him, he has tears running down his cheeks. While they're praising him, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. He's weeping over Jerusalem. Because the same people who are hailing him won't be hailing him as they lift him up on a cross and whip him and spit on him. The same disciples who lift him up on a donkey will be nowhere to be found when they lift him up onto a Roman execution device. See, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem for the Passover. And the Jews think that they're coming in to town to sacrifice a lamb. But Jesus knows that he is coming into town to be the lamb that will be sacrificed for the forgiveness of their sins. You see, Jesus is this true and better Passover lamb. He's not just the king, but he is the suffering king, the suffering servant that's talked about in Isaiah 53 and Zechariah 9 that he would come and be that Passover lamb. What did the Passover lamb do in the Old Testament? It would take on the very identity of sinners so that God's wrath would be poured out on that Passover lamb and his wrath would pass over the people who put their trust in God's words that he would forgive them if they slay this innocent lamb. When God kills that lamb, he does not pass over the lamb, but he passes over us that we do not experience the consequence of our sin and our shame, which is death. And Jesus knows he's going to Jerusalem to be this, to take on our identity as sinners. Jesus was not just stripped of his outer cloak and his outer garments. He was stripped all the way down to his flesh. And when someone is stripped all the way down to their flesh in the ancient world, it is an announcement that you have been conquered. See, on the cross, when Jesus is stripped of all of his clothes, he is being conquered by our sin, our shame, and the consequence of our sin, which is death. He's willingly putting himself to death for us. He came into town being carried on a donkey weeping. And he's leaving town, heading up to Golgotha, being whipped. And instead of the king of kings being lifted up on a throne, he's being exalted as he's being executed on the cross for our sin. And what do we find this king doing while he's on the cross? He's reciting songs. He's singing psalms of praise to God. Nearly every word that we see Jesus utter from the cross is from Israel's songbook. 
He's praising God from the cross because he knows his identity, even though he's taking on the identity of sinners, that he is the suffering king who came to submit. He followed and he was obedient unto death, even death on a cross, so that me and you can be saved from our sins. Jesus is the king who followed first, not for loyal subjects, but for disloyal subjects, so we don't get death, but instead we get the identity of his life. See, Jesus is the only only thing. He's the only person you can worship who will die for you. Anything else that you worship, you have to lay your life down for. They would never die for you, but Christ the King will. And he didn't just lay his cloak down for you. He laid down his life for you. But three days later, when it seemed that death would conquer him and the grave would hold him, he rose from the dead. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now offered to us who put our trust in Christ, that our old person is now dead in the grave, our old identity as worshipers of little G gods and other things and persons of this world is put in the grave so we can put on this new cloak of righteousness that we are now his He is our king. We are his people. We were once self-made enemies. And he's not only made us citizens of this brand new kingdom, but he calls you his child. Oh, when we know this, we will follow the king even when it's difficult because he first followed in our place. When we know this, we will submit to the king because he submitted first, even unto death. And when we follow this king, we're saying we're identifying with Jesus because he first identified with us. And as we praise him through all that we do, not just on Sundays, but every day, we're inviting others to put on this identity as well, that you are in Christ And when we are in Christ, we will follow his words because it reveals who we worship. Amen? Church, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. And as we prepare to take communion, Father, we ask that we will